Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. John chapter 2, let's go there. And we've been walking through um, the Gospels um, in a harmonious way, the harmony of the Gospels chronologically. We uh, skipped the birth of Jesus because we're coming into December and I wanted to wait until we get closer to Christmas before we cover that section. So we talked about the announcement of his birth and John the Baptist and John the Baptist's early ministry and uh, Jesus' childhood and uh, a little bit of Jesus' childhood and and then we got into John seeing Jesus, John with his own eyes, actually seeing the Spirit of God descend upon Jesus. And God told him, to whom you see the Spirit descending upon, this is the Christ. This is the coming one. And John said, I did not know him until then. Now, he was his cousin. Remember that? They're first cousins. Um, but John didn't know him as the Christ until he saw the Spirit descend upon him. And then we, we learned that a little later on, um, as, as time went by and Jesus was beginning to call some of his disciples together that um, uh, we talked about John later on wondering about Jesus. Is he the one? And how he got offended at Jesus. He'd gotten thrown in prison. And, and it was after that news came to Jesus that John sent his disciples to say, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Even though John saw the Holy Spirit with his own eyes, he still... Uh, began to doubt. Why? Because of an, an offense. An, an offense can make you so blind uh, to life and truth. Um, and, but it was when, upon hearing these disciples ask Jesus the question, he said, tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead arisen, and blessed is he who's not offended of me. And then right after he said that, he said, there's been no one born greater among women than John. Boy, don't you love the grace and love of God? So you know what that teaches us? If the best can get offended, any of us can. So you got to guard yourself. Keep yourself from being offended. We're going to look at John chapter 2. Um, I want to start in verse 7. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots. This is the first miracle that Jesus performed in his ministry. We've gone over this story several times, so I'm not going to belabor it. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. So Jesus' first miracle of turning water into wine is a, is a miracle of abundance. And he's setting uh, a precedent moment to show us what is in the heart of God for people and how God meets a need. Aren't you grateful that he meets our need more abundantly than we could ask or think? And that's what he did. The first miracle he performs an excessive amount of wine. It was the need. And Jesus showed them first thing what he wanted us to know in his miraculous power was that God is more than enough. Amen. And not only is he more than enough, and not only does he give it abundantly, but he gives the best. Amen. I thank God for that. So you can expect the best. Turn to somebody and tell them, expect the best. 
Verse 11, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, we're going to jump down to verse 13. Now, the Passover, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple, everybody say, in the temple, those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. Now, it's believed that the Jerusalem at this time uh, had a population of somewhere around 80,000 or so. But when it was Passover time, they could have upwards of 500 to 600,000 people come into that city. I mean, it was hustle and bustle. It was like the Texas State Fair going on. People came from long distances, too. And so, for convenience sake, that's what we, we kind of assume, for convenience sake, they set up shop there. Instead of, say, listen, instead of you carrying a lamb from wherever you're from, we will provide one here, and when you get here, we will have an exchange uh, of currency here for you so that you can trade your, your foreign currency in for the temple currency because there was no other currency that could actually be in the temple, otherwise it would be defiled because on those other coins they had graven images. And so um, this was the system. Now, that seems on the surface like they're trying to be helpful, right? Oh, but lo and behold, they are not. They're looking for profit. They have found a way to make some money. And here's the issue. It's not really even so much that they're providing uh, a lamb for a sacrifice. It's not even so much that they're, you know, uh, giving them currency exchange. It's where they're doing it. In the temple. What has happened here? What has happened here? These are, these are the religious leaders of the day. They're the ones who are overseeing what goes on in the temple. And Jesus walks in, and he sees this zoo going on. Can you imagine coming in here one Sunday morning and just seeing animals roaming around? <laughs> Auctioneer <laughs> sounding off. You wonder what happened. Now, that... That happening here is not near as significant as it was happening there. Because back then, God dwelt in temples. He dwelt in a box in a temple, right? Well, now you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. But at that time, this place was extra, extra sacred. And the issue is that they brought their business right into the place of worship. This is a picture, really, of a greater truth that's going on. They have let greed enter into their hearts to such an extent that now they make no difference between the marketplace and the house of worship. And this is what set Jesus off. Let's look at verse 15. And he made a whip of cords. I love Jesus. Jesus made a whip, which tells us that this wasn't just a, a, a sudden reaction to what he saw. It wasn't a fit of anger. He sat down and began to fashion a whip. I'm going to hit that guy first, and then I'm going to hit that guy, and then I'm going to smack that guy. And he, and he fashioned this whip, and he's eaten up 
with zeal for his father's house. And he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the, the changers' money and overturned the tables. Verse 16, And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Now, the other Gospels, this is John's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record a moment when Jesus drove out the people from the temple. But that wasn't this time. He did this twice in his ministry. He did it in the beginning here, and he did it just before he died on the cross. As a matter of fact, in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and they're, they're saying, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. When he gets there, he walks in the temple and he sees it. And what does he do? Well, they didn't learn the lesson the first time. So he makes him a whip again, and he drives him out again. And that, that next time, he called them all thieves and robbers. But he says, not make my, house, my father's house a house of merchandise or a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. And that's a reference to Psalms chapter 69, verse 9. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? Well, isn't that convenient? How quickly they changed the subject. He's coming in there and he's calling them out for their sin, not only against God, but against these poor people who come into town. And you know they're upcharging the, the lambs. You know they're upcharging the currency exchange, doing everything they can to, to, to get more money. And he walks in and he says, this is my father's house. You've made it a marketplace. And then they go, uh, what sign do you show that you do these things? Trying to turn it on him, shift the focus so that that light of truth that is glaring into their darkness will somehow stop. Verse 19, Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? That's an interesting response, isn't it? It's an interesting response. What sign do you show? What, what, what are you proving? What are you trying to prove to us by doing what you just did? And Jesus says, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. What does he mean by this? I think that he's answering really on two levels here. And the first level is that you're destroying this temple, this physical temple, by doing what you're doing. When you desecrate the worship of my Father with your whitewashed greed and corruption... Uh, you destroy what this temple is and its whole purpose. And it would indeed be destroyed, wasn't it? Wasn't it? In A.D. 70, um, when Titus came in and leveled the place. But on another level, Jesus is also saying that same materialistic deadness to the spirit, to the spiritual reality that destroys this temple will also be used to destroy his temple. Just like you kill the worship in the house of God here, this physical temple that you're looking at, with your materialism, you're going to do the same thing and kill me. Remember when Jesus said, I and my Father are one. So if you would destroy his house, you would destroy his house, then you would destroy me. If you treasure money over my Father's house, then you'll have no problem enjoying what you would deem the treasure of my destruction 
and purchase it with 30 pieces of silver. So he's speaking on these two levels. Destroy this temple, the building, and destroy this temple, my body. Verse 20. Then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered. Oh, yeah. They remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now look at verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Do you remember when he did that first miracle of of turning the water into wine? It says that he manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And then we see what happened in the temple later on after he was risen from the dead. It says that his disciples remembered it and they believed the scripture and they believed what Jesus said. Now this says that many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them, or he did not entrust himself to them. In other words, he didn't trust them to entrust himself to them, because he knew all men. And had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He knew. Now, we're not talking about his disciples here. We're talking about these fringe disciples. Those that will not believe until they see a sign. And they can just as easily unbelieve as they can believe. All right? We got time. Let's go to 3, chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? (laughs) <laughs> he's just being logical here if you, if you try to reason that here that's the conclusion you come to right Jesus answered most assuredly I say to you unless one is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit do not marvel that I said to you You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? He's not talking to just some Joe Schmo out there. All right? This is somebody who should know. He should have the answers. He said, you're a teacher in Israel and don't know? Watch this, verse 11. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we've seen. You see all the capitals? So who's he talking about? He's talking about the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. if, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So he marvels here in verse 10 at Nicodemus being a teacher that he doesn't understand. Then he says that the problem Nicodemus has is that even though he is hearing a reliable testimony from Jesus and others, he doesn't receive the testimony. You remember what John chapter 1 verse 12 says? Jesus says, for as many as received him, to them he gave the right 
to become the children of God, as many as believed on his name. Then in verse 12, he says, I have taken you, Nicodemus, as far as I can. Because here, here's where, this is where it ends for you right now. You need something else because if you can't understand the earthly thing, the things that you're familiar with, the things that you know, the things that you even teach, Nicodemus, the things that you can touch, by the way of explanation, well, you can't go any higher from here. This is it. If, if I've told you these earthly things and you don't believe, how is it possible that you're going to catch any heavenly wisdom here? Huh? And he's saying, you're pressing me for these deeper things, but there's no way for you to go deeper because you're missing something. A heart of unbelief cannot grasp the kinds of truth that I, 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 want, I need you to see to, have, to understand this new birth. Wow. Now, what do you do here? So what is Jesus going to do now to this teacher? You don't understand earthly things? How can you understand heavenly things? Come back and see me again when you get born again. What, where's the conversation go from here? I love Jesus. He's so gracious. He's so patient. He's not going to leave Nick hanging. Because what he does here is hugely important uh, for all of us to see. It's important for our own faith. It's important even for our own witness, my family. Because how many of you have witnessed to loved ones and you have found it extremely frustrating? Come on. Hmm? Or coworkers? Oh, am I getting warmer? Hmm? Family's the worst. <laughs> They're just the worst. When it comes to that, I'm not talking about the family overall. I'm, I'm just saying Jesus even said that. A prophet's welcome anywhere but his own country, among his own people, amongst his own relatives. Right? And I, I know some of you have the testimony that when you got saved, your family's like, Pfft. Okay. Christian, or you do something and they go, and you call yourself a Christian. Huh? They just wait for you to screw up and man, they pout. Yeah, it happens. But I also found the other side that when they find trouble, they come looking for me. Interesting. Heather, usually, actually. I mean, not she's looking for me, I'm saying they come looking for her. Jesus shifts here. He shifts here. Verse 13, it's a pivotal verse. Look at this. Let's bring it up. No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Wow. Now, who did Jesus say the Son of Man was? Himself. Look at verse 14. And as Moses, now watch this, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now I want us to, oh, I didn't tell you to go here, Caleb, just right quick. Numbers chapter 21. We're going to look at this story for just a moment, what Jesus is talking about. It's important for us to, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, what the heck is he talking about? Even so, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, what happened in the life of Israel, they're out, they're on their way to the promised land. But see, the law has come. You know, there was a time before that law came and Israel would be out there on their way to, from Egypt, and, and they would complain, they would murmur, and they would say, we're thirsty, we're hungry, and God would provide for them. But when the law came, and if they murmured against Moses or Aaron, sometimes the earth would just swallow up and just 
I mean, open up and just swallow them up. All kinds of things start happening because with the law comes consequences, right? They break the law. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. And we're going to pick up in verse 7. Yes, verse 7. Thank you, Kayla. The people came to Moses. Okay, so they had been complaining against Moses and Aaron, and guess what? So God just uh, directed some poisonous snakes into the camp. Wow. People are getting bit. They're dying, right? So the people came to Moses and said, we've sinned. When we spoke against the Lord and against you, prayed that the Lord would take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent or a poisonous snake. Make a NIV. What is this blasphemy? Okay. Then... Then the Lord said to Moses, you know, that's the never-inspired version, right? Okay. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. Now watch this. Look, look at the, the logic of God. All right? Who's the one who sent the snakes? It says God did. All right? Then he says, I want you to make a fiery serpent that looks like those that have been biting and killing everybody and put it on a pole and it should be everyone who's bitten, when he looks at it, he'll live. You know the symbol for, the, for medicine? That's where this came from. The serpent on the pole. When he looks at it, shall live. What an odd, odd thing to do. Uh, it seems that way. But everything that God does, especially in that Old Testament, is pointing us to his son. Next, so Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, now I want you to notice that this serpent that was on that pole was not preventative. It was for those who had already been bitten. Anyone who has been bitten, if they'll look at it, they will live. Wow. And, and that poison that is in them, without divine intervention, they're going to die. But now they have divine inter intervention. The snakes in this camp, being from the Lord, he's the one who sent them. You can read that in verse 6. And the wrath of God, therefore, is on this people for their sin of ingratitude, for their murmuring against God and his people. The, the means that God chooses to rescue them from his own curse is a picture of the curse itself. Uh, all they have to do in order to be saved from God's wrath is to look at His provision hanging on a pole. Now, we know that Jesus read the Old Testament. Don't you know? Remember what Jesus told, uh, I think it was the Pharisees or Sadducees, one of those you sees. And He said, He said, You search the Scriptures. They are they which testify of Me. You think it was kind of exciting to be Jesus and read the Old Testament and go, there I am. There I am again. It must have been awesome. And it's all pointing to Him. They're testifying of Him. And, and, and don't you know that there, and, and even bring some of those things up, there's pointers and there's shadows, foreshadowings and types everywhere. And, and you would think of all the types and shadows that Jesus could bring up in this conversation with Nicodemus, He might skip this one. But he doesn't. 
He brings it right to the forefront, and there's a reason why. Because it's kind of shocking to compare the Son of Man with a snake. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't evade it. He goes out of his way to choose it to help Nicodemus understand something. Look at verse 14. And as Moses lifted up, John, lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That whoever, say whoever. Is that you? Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I'm going to leave you with these few observations about this. So Jesus is the Son of Man that he's speaking of here, isn't he? He's the one. And, and he even said that, that he speaks of the Son of Man being lifted up. If you know that the, the... Well, we'll look at that in just a moment. John chapter 8. So when Jesus speaks of the Son of Man being lifted up as that snake, he's talking about himself. He's talking about his own crucifixion here. And then we also see the next observation is that Jesus is the uh, source of rescue. If he's the one that's on the pole then he's the source of the rescue. In the place of the snake is the source of healing, uh, the source of rescue from the poison of sin and the wrath of God, and he's the source of eternal life and those who look to him. Moses lifted up the snake, but Moses wasn't the one who rescued the people. Forget that. Don't forget that. This is a divine intervention. He's just following God's instruction. Jesus sets this comparison up. Who lifts up the Son of Man on the cross? So who, who is it that lifted him up on the cross? Who did this? Well, let's look at John chapter 8, verse 28 right quick. Just bring that up. I'll take no offense at that. <laughs> Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. So who's lifting him up? The Pharisees are. The Pharisees, interestingly enough, stand in Moses' place. And here they are lifting up the Son of Man. Wow. In the book of Numbers that we just read, the one who saves is God by means of a snake. And in John, the one who saves is God by means of his son, Jesus. Now, Jesus in the, in the place of his snake is portrayed as evil and a curse. Isn't, isn't that how we see snakes? All of them, all of them, evil and a curse. And that came because of what God told the serpent in the beginning. On your belly now you shall crawl, and dust shall you eat. The snakes are evil these snakes are killing the people. These snakes are filling the people with poison. Hmm? This is a picture of the curse upon the people. And so it was with Jesus. Wow. Jesus, Paul said that for our sakes, that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, I, I want to, you've got to catch this for just a second. In order for God, well, actually, let's just say it like this. In order for Jesus to die, the only way that he could actually die, how do you die? The wages of sin is death. He never sinned, so how can he possibly die? That means God had to actually truly, truly, truly blame him so that he could die. 
The very fact that Jesus did die, my family, means that God really did judge him. This wasn't just some example or representation, picture. This wasn't some allegory. God literally, He literally, oh God. Accounted Him as sin. Thereby literally taking the judgment from us. And Jesus said, the Son of Man is lifted up, just like the serpent. And Galatians says that Christ became a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Why did he do that? That the blessing of Abraham will come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. Wow. Somebody needs to say thank you, Jesus. Mm, thank you, Lord. And he gives eternal life. Those who looked to the snake, what happened? They lived. When you look to Jesus, what do you get? You get eternal life. You live and live and you keep on living. He must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have everlasting life. When our sin and God's wrath were taken away, whoo, God is totally on our side now. Amen and amen. And because he's for us, we'll never die, but live forever with him. Wow. And Jesus crucified is the one you got to see. He's the one you got to look to. That's what it means. To look to means to believe on him. Thank you, Lord. Oh, wow. Believe in him. I'll finish with 16. Let's all say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Praise God. Let's stand together. Wow. Faith, you did so good tonight. In song and in preaching. Sure appreciate you. Amen. If you're here tonight with a prayer need, I want to first just touch on healing for a moment. You're here. You need a touch from God and healing. Just raise your hand where you are. I want to pray for you. I want to agree with you in Jesus' name. All right, I want you to look around for a moment. If somebody's got their hand up, go to them. All right, and we're going to lay hands on them, and we're going to agree with them. This is why you're fed the word every week, to equip you for the work of the ministry. Amen. You just pray over them. Just declare the word of God. Declare life. Declare that Jesus took their sickness in Jesus' name and they are healed by his stripes. Thank you, Lord. And believe right now in Jesus' name that everything that is not right in these bodies will be made right. That the healing power of God will invade now and it will penetrate every tissue, every cell, and every fiber of their being and bring forth healing in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. We believe it tonight. We believe that it is in operation right now. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. It is in operation right now. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you. Now, if you're here tonight and you need provision, I want you to raise your hand. You need a breakthrough. You need things to change financially. Maybe you need a new car. 
you need a home, whatever it is, any kind of provision, I want you to just raise your hand where you are right now in Jesus' name. All right? Now, if you see someone with their hand up, go to them. We're going to agree together in Jesus' name. We are the body of Christ and members individually. Lord, we thank you in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, that it is your good pleasure to bless your people. Thank you, Father God, that you give us richly all things to enjoy. Thank you that you shall provide all of their needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you. We're not limited to our jobs, though we're thankful for our job. We're not limited to natural earthly resources, though we're thankful for those things. But we have a God who can move heaven and earth. He can move heaven and earth to bring provision to us. He's not limited by any of those things. And He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us in Jesus' name. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Now, tonight, if you're here and you, you, need, you need prayer for a relationship, a relationship right now, if you need prayer for that relationship, it's strained, it's broken, it's distant, whatever it might be, just raise your hand. Father, thank you right now also. Lord, thank you for peace. Thank you, Lord, for restoring these relationships, for healing. Lord, speaking to these hearts, speaking to these hearts, marriages, families, friends, whatever level of relationship it is, God. Lord, I thank you right now that they would come together in the bond of love again and that every offense would be stopped, that all unforgiveness, praise God, that they would release. Tonight, I don't know if maybe one or two of you, tonight I want you to just say this, say, and if this is you, you're harboring some stuff on the inside. Listen, you've got you to stop doing that. That's only hurting you. Just say, I forgive. Lord, I forgive. In Jesus' name, I forgive. I'm not going to hold on to the hurts. I'm not doing it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord, for mending these things. And Lord, we thank you for supernatural intervention in this. And for wisdom. For wisdom, Lord, in how they communicate. Wisdom, Lord, from heaven. Thank you for being a very present help in time of need. Bless these relationships. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. God is good. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, to you and all your house, and give you peace. Shalom, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.